Welcome to Academic Medicine Leadership Lessons, brought to you by the Society of Teachers of Family Medicine. On this podcast, we speak to leaders in academic medicine about a variety of leadership topics. During the COVID-19 public health emergency, many residency programs and medical schools are reinventing how they operate. Much has been accomplished quickly and with great ingenuity, and we'll be sharing some of those stories of adaptability and learner engagement on this podcast. For the time being, this podcast will be hosted by me, Brian Hischer, Manager of Online Education at STFM. When things return to something more normal, our regular host, Dr. Saria carter Sicosio, will be back with us to take up her hosting duties. I recently spoke with Dr. Judy Washington about her experience working on the COVID-19 floor with her residents in Summit, New Jersey. Dr. Washington, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Oh, thank you for asking me to do this. So could you tell me a little bit about your institution? Yes. So I work for the Overlook Family Medicine Residency Program, which is based at Overlook uh, Medical Center, which is part of uh, the Atlantic Health System. We're in Summit, New Jersey, and the Atlantic Health System is several hospitals and multiple residency programs, but part of the Family Medicine Program. And specifically what I do is I'm the Women's Health Coordinator. So I help coordinate the women's health OB experience for the residents along with an OBGYN department and an OBGYN assigned faculty person and uh, lots of other things, research and teaching and of course patient care, which includes outpatient and inpatient care. Okay. So I've been sheltering in place in my community. Uh, We've heard a lot about how things have changed with regards to uh, services in a clinic and services in a residency. Can you tell me a little bit about how things have changed or how they did change once the public health emergency struck? So because I was part of the women's health coordination and uh, the OB clinic, we immediately had to change one aspect. And so our residents, uh, what we started to do was do virtual visits for our OB patients. And our office hours are usually on Thursday morning. So we started our virtual visits. And I must admit, my residents really stepped up to do that. But then it became really apparent that as this COVID pandemic was spreading, that we were going to have to change the way we did things. And so our OB unit became a closed unit. Our residents were actually redeployed throughout the hospital, and it became evident that they were not going to be able to do their continuity delivery. So we actually turned over our remaining OB patients to our OBGYN clinical coordinator, and we stopped doing our OB. And also, we had to stop doing our inpatient nursery, and we turned that over to the pediatric hospital list to do that. So that was one big change, but we knew it had to come as our residents were going to be redeployed. Um, What we didn't expect was that some of our residents would actually fortunately be diagnosed COVID positive early on. So we had a few of our residents out. And then in the midst of all of this, the hospital was deciding how they were going to run a hospital with COVID admission. So that became another change. And then we had to decide how we were going to run our whole outpatient family practice center. So it's just a lot of things happening at once. 
But we quickly moved to virtual visits. It's the quickest <laughs> move I've seen, which was, it was a big task. We were able to do it. Not perfectly, but we did it. <laughs> that is definitely a theme that I've heard as I've spoken with other uh, family medicine educators, that change has been rapid. Change has been difficult to achieve perfectly, but so many people step up during that change to make sure something can happen. And as it became evident that the hospital numbers were going to increase, we were asked to man what was supposed to be a non-COVID floor uh, as the hospital decided to do designations, COVID, non-COVID, designate our ICUs, COVID, non-COVID. And so I decided to be one of the first two faculty members to do it. Uh, and luckily we, you know, it seemed a seamless thing to do. <laughs> okay, we do hospital, we'll just do this, you know, two attendings and two residents, and we will spend the week just caring for, for patients. But it didn't quite work out that way. Our first day on the floor of our, what was supposed to be our non-COVID floor, we actually had three patients who tested COVID positive. And even though uh, they had different symptoms, it was obvious that they, they were going to be COVID positive with pneumonias and different things. So our floor immediately became a mixed floor with, and then actually we became then the admitting floor for the ER because it was so overrun with patients who needed to just be moved to a floor. So we became a mixed unit. But then it became obvious to us that all of our patients were gonna be COVID positive. And I must admit um, the nursing staff on that floor um, and the nurse, uh, coordinator for that floor were just awesome. And my the resident stepped up, my colleague and I looked at each other and it's like, okay, this is not what we signed up for, but we've done this long enough that we can make this switch. And of course the residents had already been working in the hospital, so they actually knew what to expect. So we actually made some quick decisions um, early on about how we were going to manage the patients. So that made it a little easier, but still to have the number of patients that we had was, was, uh, was a task. You were busy all day. I think one of the important things that was we made the decision early on that to preserve PPE, only the attendings would actually go in and see the patients. And then we would, we used our residents basically as our scribes, which, uh, and to do the rest of the work. And they actually, knew how to do all the orders. They knew how to do all the things that normally as attendings, we don't do anyway. So they were able to help us be efficient, uh, decrease our exposure, help us put on our PPE. Um, my intern took extensive notes. So by the time we sat down, she was ready just to do the notes, do the orders and take care of the patients, which was uh, showed amazing maturity. Uh, the other resident was a third year, so he was, you know, very helpful. And then my my colleague who was working with me, he, of course, a seasoned family doctor who we were just able to do what we needed to do. 
But I think over once we sat down on that first day, I think the big thing was realizing that we were going to have to sit down and call the families of every patient that we were taking care of because they were no longer allowed to be in the hospital. And that became a process where every day we saw the patients while my intern was doing the notes, I would just sit down and call each family member and let them know how their their loved one was doing. That is an astonishing story. The residents were obviously in the middle of their own uh, continuing education prior to this happening. So to suddenly find themselves on a mixed COVID, on a COVID unit, it's incredible to hear just how they were able to provide support. And how were you able to provide support to them? Were they experiencing high levels of stress? Well, you know, we had a morning check-in where we just asked everybody, you know, are you okay? I'd ask my intern uh, and a senior, you know, we would just ask each other, are you okay? And we would all say yes. One of the things was we kind of had one side of the floor, so we would all sit there on our computers and keep working. And finally, the ID doctor said, okay, you guys are too close. But, you know, we had on our N95s, we had on everything. She goes, spread out, spread out. But then we realized is that rather we had to, like, talk across to each other rather than being there, which I guess was a safety issue. It was the social distancing. But then we we quickly adapted to, okay, you're over there. Let's talk. Uh, Let's get our orders done. And, but, the, you know, it was just constant check-in. And at the end of the day, we would actually have to sign out our patients. And then it was kind of a check-in, what we needed to do, making sure all the work was done. Where I really saw their level of maturity was um, because we were assigned to a floor, the infectious disease doctors were also assigned to a group of patients. So while I was on the phone talking to the nurses or talking to the family, they would present each case to the infectious disease doctor, review all of their medications, uh, the patient's status, what the labs were, and then they quickly adopted to each style. And then finally, what our hospital did was it just assigned one ID clinician to the floor. So instead of working with two, they only had to work with one. We quickly developed our pattern of how to care for our patients, and then it became uh, an easier task um, because they were ready. They had all of their their notes and and we became a family with the nurses. I mean, I found myself because I was had my PPE on rather than having nurse come in, you know, don PPE and take a tray. I was just delivering the trays as I went into a room. I would just take a tray and go, no, I'm okay. Take a tray, help the patient and. They were grateful. I think they saw another side of me because even though I was in the room three minutes, it's, you can really assess someone and talk to them, look at their tray and say, oh, you've got eggs this morning and bacon. How are you liking that? And you would notice that all of a sudden people were hungry, which meant they were getting better <laughs> and that they were truly eating their ready to eat their eggs or you know, drinking their water. People would ask you for things and you, you know, look out and say, I, I need a pitcher of water. So, I mean, it became more of, uh, we were their family. I remember one of my male patients uh, looking at me and saying, I, I said something to him, like, you're much better today. And he looked at me and goes, oh, thank you so much. And I said, 
I'm going to call your wife. And he said to me, oh, thank you so much, sweetie. And I was like, oh, you know, and then he goes, oh, and he kind of looked like maybe he shouldn't have said that. And I was like, no, it's okay. It's, it's fine. So every day was just kind of terms of endearment that you just, you know, I'm sure that maybe he calls someone else that his wife and I became a surrogate for him. And I remember on the day I told him he was going to be discharged. He looked, looked at me as if, what are you talking? I can go home. I said, yes, I'm calling your wife. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, instead of telling him this in person, we were required to call into his room. So most of all of our instructions after physically seeing the patient, we would call and talk to them on their room phone. And that was to limit the exposure, limit PPE. And so it was easier in some ways, but it was more difficult in some ways because you couldn't see the patient's face. And I think that's so important for us as family doctors, that's that, that connection. Oh, definitely. Yeah, the human connection is something that, again, I, you know, I've heard from others as well that, you know, even the, the littlest things that they could do to establish that human connection, that human touch were so important to the patients. How do residents deal with a sudden shift of being unable to actually be in contact with patients? Well, you know, initially, I remember we had one patient that was having difficulty and I went and the resident was like, I can come in and help you. I was like, no. I'm going to do all my PPE. If I need you, I'll come and get you. But it was like they wanted to like, rush in and help. They wanted to to uh, to be there because that's what they're used to doing. I mean, many times, you know, it, it's them going in, not the attending, taking care of problems. Uh, and the fact that it was flipped, I think it made them a little uncomfortable uh, because they wanted to help. And I remember... The resident was telling another resident, it's like, Dr. Washington ran a rapid on a patient. She was, I said, oh, yeah. I, and then they were like, she, they were like, what? You didn't go in? She goes, no, no, Dr. Washington did. It's like, yeah, but, you know, I, I said, well, you taught me very well. You told me what to do. <laughs> and so kind of like saying that, you know, she actually helped me. She was, you know, giving the nurse the orders as I had the room closed or we had the door slightly open. But, you know, it was just being a team meant that, you know, there's always someone who has to step forward. But really, you're going to work together. And I thought that was important to, to validate, especially a first year intern, because they're used to doing all this stuff. Right. So this is uh, early May when we're having this interview. May, June, the summer, we have education still going on. How are things, um, how are you guys adapting as, as news comes out? Well, that's amazing because we actually are just getting ready to start our meetings, looking at, you know, OB, pediatrics, uh, what rotations we're going to be able to resume. I've actually, thanks to SDFM for rotations that residents can't physically go on. There are so many free modules out there that STFM colleagues shared for dermatology. Uh, we have some things we're going to use for radiology, for peds. There's uh, things that they can study. So even if they're not going to be able to do the, um, the rotation, and actually our outpatient peds practice as is going to be more robust in that our pediatric patients are who we're bringing back first. 
because our big push is going to be for immunizations and well-child visits. Uh, we're really going to make the office safe so those things can happen. And of course, throughout all of this, babies are still being born. So newborn visits, we're, um, we have lots of those to do. And then they'll continue with their telemedicine visits. And then as we start to ramp up our in-person visits, we're still kind of thinking how we're going to do that with limited PPE and how we screen patients before they come into the office. Uh, it's going to be very important. So we don't know. We're just kind of working. Our biggest thing now is how to deal with graduation and orientation for our seven new residents coming in. What's that going to look like? And what, what, what our June, July practice is going to look like. And I, I think those are decisions. Uh, fortunately, I'm in a position that all I really, really have to worry about is OB and kids and moving forward and also just uh, research projects. Those still have to go on. So I'm actually looking at a few IRBs uh, this week. So yeah, things are moving along. Right. You know, I know that that what you dealt with in uh, in your community was a pretty intense experience with uh, COVID-19. So you may not have had uh, the time you would normally want to reflect on lessons learned. But do you have um, any thoughts you can share with us in closing about you know what you experienced? Well, yeah, I think being a family physician, uh, just I learned how flexible I was. I did learn that you know sometimes. Um, you swallow fear, but it also makes you more cautious. You do think about yourself. You think about protecting your family. So all, all the stories you heard about people being concerned were very true. I developed my own protocol for coming back into my house uh, for social distancing from my family. But the biggest thing was, you know, we all do death certificates, but to have to do Three and 24 hours was uh, unbelievable for me. And then the number of death certificates or notifications that you receive of pa patients deceased in EPIC, it really, then you realize that, you know, it's, it's a person and patients that we lose, they have a connection to our practice. Our staff was, you know, when I'd come in and I'd say, this person died, that they, they had a connection to that person. And then there would be a story about that patient that they would tell. And, and I realized that that's what, you know, that's what each and each person is, is a story. And for family doctors, you know, those stories are, are rich. Um, we take care of patients um, in our practice uh, and we become their families. And I remember as I was talking to family member on the floor, trying to reassure them, I, you know, I was just trying to be my best person as I, I talked to them. And one of the nurses said to me, and she goes, if I wanted to have, if someone were going to tell me bad news, I would want it to be you. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? She goes, it's so calm. It's like, I know that she's, you were telling the patient, honestly, what was going on, but you did it in such a calm way. And not that you were sugarcoating it because you had to be very honest with them about their family members, but you did it in a calm way. And it's like, thank you. Because I just remember 
one family member was really, really upset. And I just finally said to her, I need for you to stop and I need you to take a deep breath. And then she said, nope, let's stop and let's take a deep breath so that you can hear me. I know it's very difficult, but you need to hear me. And fortunately, her family member did very well, left the hospital. But it was a moment where I just kind of had to stop. One, calm myself. Uh, so we, we both took deep breaths. But two, I just thought it was important. And then after that, she heard me. And then she thanked me for telling her honestly what was going on. But that's hard. It's so hard to be honest. Uh, and tell patients uh, that your family member is not, may not make it, but that's what they need to hear. And they don't need to hear any terms that are, are not true. You just have to be honest so that if the good happens, they expect it. And if the bad happens, you've prepared them each step of the way. And I think that's what I learned from all of this is to be my best self and to be honest with patients, with families and with patients, because then you have to tell the patient and be honest with them. And that's hard. Wow. Uh, that is incredibly moving. And I'm so proud to be a part of this organization. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. I've had so many people call me in tears in the last few weeks, <laughs> uh, you know, and not just my own docs, but just from from several areas because people are stressed and, you know, they're tired. And, you know, this, I think this disease has taken so much from us. You know, I have to sit and think about all we've lost, you know, the true, our rotations, some of our relationships, the way we move in the office. I mean, those are just true losses and we're never going to get this time back. And when we move into this new normal, I don't know what it's going to look like with the financial implications for all of us, like, you know, what's going to happen? I just, you know, I'm so proud of everybody. I mean, every doctor in our organization did such a tremendous job. You know, you just always felt like you didn't want to let anyone down. But I think, like, your sentiment's exactly true. I'm so proud. You know, I was talking to somebody and just like, you know, I hate this happened. Uh, I hate all of the bad things happened. Uh, but, you know, we just have to move forward as a help, you know, as a community. And STFM has been like wonderful with all the resources and just the support, having to go to the website, STFM Connect and pull down something has been helpful. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, I don't want to hold you too long. I so appreciate you taking the time this morning to talk with me. I think it's so good to hear these these stories and share these stories with everybody. Dr. Washington, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Brian, for asking me again. I think it was very good to have to get this off of my chest, whatever it is. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening to Academic Medicine Leadership Lessons. You can access all of our episodes at stfm.org slash podcasts or subscribe through any of the major podcast providers, such as iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. 